everybody? How you doing out there? How you doing? This is Mike Bauman, and you're checking out another edition of Bauman's Breakdown. Happy to be here with you guys, as always, out there in the internet world. Whoever you are, wherever you are, thank you for listening to the show. As always, you can check it out at bombensbreakdown.podbean.com. You can also check it out at the Podbean app, P-O-D-B-E-A-N. That's how you spell it. You can get that on your iPhone or your Android operating system phone as well. There's also another cool app that I like called the Podcast Addict app. My show is available on there as well. And you can check it out as always and subscribe on iTunes if you so choose, which would be awesome because I guess uh, when people subscribe or rate it or whatever, it ranks up higher. And that gives an opportunity for more people to check out the show. I'm just going to move the mic back a little bit so it's not – there we go. Sorry, guys. There's a little scratchy scratch there for a second. But um, you can check it out on iTunes, subscribe, like the show, comment, whatever. You know, Just don't say any horrible things like you hope my family – dies in horrible ways or anything because that's not cool that's not good karmic energy to put out there even if you're joking even if you're joking but anyway uh thanks for joining me i really appreciate it this week i wanted to do a solo cast again and i've I've done one of these uh i did one about a month a little over a month ago as well and i touched on some of the stuff that i'm going to talk about today and not to bore you guys man but you know again this is a music podcast and uh, while it is a music podcast, there's a lot of other things that tie into music as well. You know, for me, listening to music, not to sound too heady or too trippy, especially with the artists that I really enjoy, really is kind of a, a spiritual experience, especially when you see it live and in concert, you know. And, and I think in order for you to really understand where I'm coming from when I say that, music really has to be something that you don't view as a commodity, you know what I mean? It, it can't be something that, that you just view as like this throwaway thing or background noise or, you know, to me, music is, I listen to music every single day. I don't really remember a day, to, to be completely honest with you, I don't I don't really remember a day where I didn't listen to like any music whatsoever or any podcast, you know. It's just a big part of my life and it has been since I was a kid. So, um, you know, podcasts like this, I feel like are necessary sometimes, especially with everything that's happened in my life. Um, whether or not you've been listening to the show for a while, excuse me, or checked out the episode that I just did with Ravi Orr of Philotaxis and Vegas Nerve and the forthcoming Cosm. Um, there's definitely, I, I believe anyway, there's there's a lot of spiritual forces at work in, in this world. And the truth is none of us know what happens when we die. You know, we don't know if there is a God. We don't We don't know if there's a great beyond, you know, if we're all going to be in white capes with halos and giant archangel wings, I don't know, man. I don't know what heaven's like. I don't know what hell's like. I, I, I hope I never experience hell from what I've come to learn about it growing up as a as a kid that went to Catholic church and ended up going to Catholic school and took religious education classes when I went to public school. So I, I hope I don't end up in hell. But I guess what I'm just trying to say is uh, spirituality and music kind of go hand in hand with me. And Really, this this podcast, I kind of wanted to touch on some stuff because it's it's crazy how fast time moves. So I wanted to touch on some stuff that uh, it's kind of one of those benchmark moments in my life. You know what I mean? In terms of ten years ago, but you know, the biggest change in my life recently has been moving into the uh, Nashville area. That that has been a huge change for me because everything and everyone that I know is pretty much eight hours or more away. You know, so it took. Um, 
it took a lot to really come down here and start fresh, but it's one of the best things that I've ever done. And I had to face a lot of fears in doing it. You know, the fear of separation, the fear of failure, the fear of just being outside of my quote unquote comfort zone. And so uh, there's a lot I'd love to share with you guys on that. And before that change, though, the, the biggest the biggest thing that happened in my life, which was an unexpected change, which is the biggest difference between me coming down to Nashville, which is something that obviously I chose versus what happened to me, you know, 10 years ago, uh, which was completely unforeseen and, and really did change my life in, in, in numerous ways. And, and that's what I wanted to talk to you guys about today because it was exactly 10 years ago at this time that I was going through all of that as a 17-year-old kid who was a senior in high school getting ready to go to college, a couple months left of, of high school to get out of the way, which at that point I was ready for high school to be over, not to, uh, to knock where I went to school. I got a great education where I went to high school back home. There's several great teachers to this day that I still hold in very high regard, and some of my closest friends that I have to this day I've, I've met uh, in the walls of that school. But high school just really wasn't for me. You know, I'm a dude that has a myriad of interests. I love music. I love shoes. I do. I love shoes, man. I, I used to draw shoes. Uh, as a matter of fact, my buddy DJ from from high school. Uh, what's up, DJ? Shout out, man, if you ever check out this show. But uh, we were just, you know, communicating the other night. And uh, and it was funny how we both remembered different things about each other. You know, and I talked about how I remembered one time at lunch you know, him mentioning, you know, because he didn't know I had moved to Nashville, just to give you the context of it. You know, we were talking about music and stuff. And I told him, hey, check out One Day as a Lion, which you guys, if you haven't checked that out, uh, make sure you go check that out. It was an EP that came out from probably, man, it's probably a good eight years old now. But it was Zach from Rage Against the Machine who put that out. I can't remember the guy he did it with, unfortunately. I apologize to that dude. But um, it was awesome. So, you know, we'll, we'll communicate every now and again online and and uh via social media and and so i told him to check that out and he gave me some stuff to check out and he didn't realize that i moved to nashville so we got to talk and yada 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 and it was funny i told him i was like you know man like i always thought you were a good dude back in the day and and i remembered being at lunch sophomore year high school talking about sports and dj was just like man Bauman, you sound like one of those dudes on espn man and that was one of the first times that it kind of really hit me at you know 15 16 years old where I was like you know what I think I think I do kind of have a knack for talking about sports and just the gift of gab in general I guess you could say and and uh that was one of the things that I thought about when I ended up doing sports broadcasting on a local but you know level back home with Toledo Sports Network for a number of years and and uh it did a lot for my confidence and it did a lot for um just who I am as a man now and who I am as a person now not just as a man but as just a dude, you know, as just a human being that's just trying to do good and just trying to live my life and figure figure out things and, you know, be be happy, you know. Um, but the reason I bring that up is because DJ was one of the people in high school who was actually I, I, I and I and I told him this too. I think he he's somebody that could really see through uh, stuff. You know, he can kind of see people for who and what they are. And for me. You know, like I said, high school was a little weird because uh, I couldn't be pigeonholed. I didn't have a click. And if you don't have a click in high school, it doesn't matter where you go, whether it's a private school, a public school, you know, whether whether you're in a school with kids that are mostly of your same race or a school like I went to that was very diversified as far as ethnic and socioeconomic backgrounds. Um, 
and, and you know, different parts of, of town, you know, where I went to school, kids went from all over different parts of town. But high school, it wasn't a struggle. I'm not going to make it sound like it was dramatic. Like I didn't, I didn't loathe it, you know, but, but there were definitely times where I felt like I was out of my own skin, you know, and, and I love basketball. Basketball is by far my favorite sport. It's the most creative game, in my opinion. I loved the creativity of it when I played it growing up. I loved Michael Jordan as a kid. I'm a huge Detroit Pistons fan. So in the mid-2000s, when they were on their run, you know, with, with that starting five of Ben Wallace, Rasheed Wallace, Chauncey Billups, Rip Hamilton in the backcourt, and Tayshawn Prince at the at the three, I mean, that, that to me still is one of, the, one of the best starting fives of this century. People can argue with me all they want, but what those guys did for the game in terms of their old-school style of play – a lot of people don't like the flashy, you know, or, or, or like the flashiness and didn't like the, the lack of flash with the Detroit Pistons, but they still one of my all-time favorite teams. But anyway, so, I, you know, I love basketball. So there were times where I'd wear basketball jerseys to school or I'd wear some Jordan gear to school, you know, and I'd have I'd have kids who would give me give me crap, you know, because they thought I was I was a wannabe. You know what I mean? Um And that and that really bothered me because those same kids would leave school listening to, you know whatever the mainstream hip-hop was on the radio. Meanwhile, I was listening to, like, Metallica and Korn, you know what I'm saying, and, and hard rock radio. So it's like, so, I, I, you know, stuff like that where, where kids think that you're trying to be something that you're not when really I was just representing the stuff that I loved. You know, me wearing a Jordan jersey to school or a Ben Wallace jersey to school or a Jumpman t-shirt to school – you know that's that's just who I who I was, and it's still who I am in a lot of regards in terms of just what I like. I really I still really enjoy footwear. Uh, I don't have a huge sneaker collection because I'm not made of money, and I think sneaker prices are getting ridiculous to be honest with you. But you know I still love like footwear design, and, and I did. I used to draw shoes. I used to draw cars. There was one point where I actually thought about um, being a footwear designer because I, I loved it so much. And then I realized that there was an engineering component to it and I didn't feel like I was good enough at math to go down that road. But anyway, so, so it was weird from that standpoint. So I had, you know, when I played sports, my freshman year, I played football and then I, I made the basketball team, which I was super proud of because there was like 60 plus kids who tried out. And I was one of like, I don't know, it was like 26 or 28 that they kept. So they kept like less than half basically, you know, Football, anybody can play because they, you know, the reality of it is whether people want to admit it or not, you know, you, you got to have numbers so the first teamers aren't killing each other in practice. You know, you got to have the scout team kids that runs the other team's plays that you're playing that week and then the first teamers aren't beating up on each other. That's just the truth. People can call it what they want to call it. I played it, so I know what I'm talking about, you know, so. Uh, but basketball, like you had to make the teams that were, you know, there was two freshman teams and I made it. And I didn't know anybody. I didn't have a family name at the school. My parents didn't have a lot of money. I was literally the second person in my family to go to the high school that I went to. So I had literally virtually no poll whatsoever. About the only poll that maybe you could say that I have was that my high school coach freshman year was really good friends with my dad growing up, and they went to the same high school. So about halfway through tryouts, once he knew what my name was, he recognized me. He was like, oh, you're a bombing, okay. You know, and, and where I'm from in Toledo, there's six degrees of separation anyway. It's not a real big school, but I, I had to make the team. You know what I'm saying? So you could argue that maybe that was a little bit of an in, but if I was terrible, I wouldn't have made the team. If I was not good, I would not have made the team. So I was proud of that, you know? And like I said, I was going through some identity issues too, because it's like, you know, I was, I was 
painfully shy back then. Like I would talk to girls, but I would never, if there was ever a romantic interest, I was, <laughs> I was more than backward in junior high and high school on that front. Just really nervous, kind of dealt with some panic attack issues, not just, not necessarily related to women, but just in general. You know, there was a few years there where I just was really avoiding a lot of like big crowds and stuff. I mean, at the time I was a kid, I was a teenager. I didn't really know what was going on. And, you know, years later I, I did have, and I'm not afraid to talk about it now because we're all human, we're all flawed, and I think it's important that we admit that. But uh, I had a really bad panic attack when I was in college, you know, about eight years ago. And that really kind of helped me come face-to-face with some stuff that I was, you know, dealing with. And again, not to sound dramatic, but just, you know, sometimes you go through stuff and you don't you don't really know what it is and you're not really sure what's going on. And, and you, it, unfortunately, sometimes you need something really bad to happen to wake you up, you know, but... Um, but yeah, so high school was just, it was just kind of a weird time. Cause like I said, I, I, I loved heavy music and metal music and stuff. Um, but I loved basketball, you know, and I loved, I loved sports. So I had like friends that were good music buddies of mine that, you know, to this day, Andy Langston, one of my, one of my best buddies from back home in Toledo, I met him in high school and he was somebody that I kind of met who, who was music interest related to me. Um, you know, DJ was somebody that I sat at lunch with, you know, uh, I think it was at least sophomore year. We, we sat at the same lunch table and we played football together freshman year, you know, so, you know, but I also was an altar boy and I, I was pretty much a straight A student. So I, kids didn't know what to do with me, man. You know what I'm saying? Like I, I didn't have a click and, and I, and I was never interested in fitting in, to be completely honest with you. There was maybe a few times where I, I wanted, I'll definitely say that there was a couple of girls that I liked and uh and that was even going back to junior high one girl in particular that i liked in junior high and uh i hated that that i wasn't you know i i i enjoyed the fact that i you know because junior high was a different story it was it was only like 60 some kids you know so junior high we were real tight-knit you know and some of it may have had to do with the fact that when we were in eighth grade that was when 9-11 happened you know and our dc trip ended up getting canceled i know i'm jumping all over the place but i'll tie it all together i promise and, uh, you know, so we, we were kind of a tight knit group, both our eighth grade classes where I went to school. And to this day, like junior high, eighth grade in particular was my favorite year of school, you know, cause I got along with everybody. Um, I didn't put on any airs. I wasn't pretentious to try to get acceptance from anybody. I came into school the year before knowing a lot of the dudes that I played football and basketball with, cause that was my church growing up. I went to public school, but if you took religious education classes, like once or twice a week, you could play sports for the church, and that's what I did because um, it was better organized than the school that I went to. So I had buddies for like two years going into Christ the King, but I didn't know any of the girls, you know. And again, we're talking like 12 years old, 13. I was a lot more shy than I am now. I don't I don't look – I didn't look like I do now back then. I had glasses. I, had, I, I still have poofy hair, but I don't, you know, part it down the middle <laughs> and let it grow. Um so, but junior high was cool because, you know, I, 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 I treated everybody the way that I wanted to be treated and I still do that to this day. And I was accepted for that. You know what I mean? Like I, I was accepted for just being who I was and that was cool. There's no greater feeling than being able to be yourself, being comfortable in your own skin and not caring what other people think of you, which obviously at those years you do. And even as an adult, there's still certain people you can, you know, say whatever you want. There's certain people and certain opinions that you value and whatnot. But, um, you know, you, at that time, you know, I, I will say that it wasn't so much fitting in, but, but acceptance is important. 
you know, and the more I went on in high school, the, the, the more I didn't care about it. But, but I hated that people viewed me a certain way when that really wasn't how I was. You know what I mean? Um, it was just kind of a judge, very judgmental place of, you know, and, and I think that happens at any high school, like I said. So I'm not trying to knock where I went to school because I did. I got a great education. I was very well prepared for college. There are still a couple of, you know, um, authority figures from that institution, teachers, priests that that I hold in high regard that are very good human beings and were very good to me and like I said I I had some great times in high school with with my best friends that I came in there with and and with the friends that I met there so it wasn't a wholly negative experience but I was definitely ready after four years there to get out of that bubble and here comes the tie-in so it's senior year I had already been accepted into college like early fall that year. So we're talking fall of 2005, a little over almost 11 years ago now, straight up almost 11 years ago. And so, you know, senior year, you get to that point where it's like, all right, your class is is the top of the heap. You know, at that point, I had gotten into school. You know, I was still trying hard in school. It wasn't like I just started flunking out or anything. Like I was still getting A's and stuff and studying hard like I always did. I was writing for uh, our student newspaper and was actually the sports editor, even though I look back on some of that stuff that I wrote and it was like, I had no idea that what AP style and journalistic style was like compared to how I was used to writing. So I probably wouldn't show any stories from, from those days to anybody now. But anyway, uh, I was kind of discovering what I wanted to do and kind of thought, okay, I really want to go into sports writing in college and stuff. So it was more positive. You know, I was playing basketball with my buddies in CYO, you know, uh, and it was cool to get to see them, you know, a couple days a week, you know, guys that I that I had were good friends since 11 years old, you know, and, and we went to different high schools and actually our high schools were rival and, rivals in football. And a uh, little side note, uh, that school hasn't beat my school in football since 2000, 2003, 2003, yeah. But anyway, uh, <laughs> little jab, little jab. Uh, I didn't play, so it really doesn't matter. I played my freshman year and I barely played. But anyway, um so I was really excited because it was like, okay, sweet, like I'm getting ready to get out of this place. I'm getting ready to go to college where I'm going to meet new people and be in a different environment and it's going to be way better than this, right? So, you know, I'm going through senior year and now let's fast forward to January. It's the end of January of my senior year in high school and um I had gotten home from basketball practice, and we used to practice. It was weird because we were a high school team, so you kind of get, like, last dibs at the church for the gym, you know? So we would practice on, like, I don't even remember what night it was. I want to say it was, like, either Tuesdays or Thursdays, but you would only practice, like, once a week instead of, like, three times a week, right? And our practice time was, like, 9.30 to 11 or something crazy like that or, like, 9 to 10.30. It was late. So I got home from basketball practice, and mind you, like, over the years, I, I always kind of had little sinus issues, you know what I mean? Like my nose would get plugged up frequently, one side would work, one side wouldn't, but I just kind of thought that that was normal. Every now and again, maybe I get a little blood in there, whatever. And I get home from basketball practice and I'm watching like the, I think it was Thursday night because it was the TNT, NBA TNT game was on and, I, and I, it's crazy how I remember stupid stuff like this, but I, I'm pretty sure it was the Spurs and the Nuggets. And I was like eating some ice cream, watching the game when I got home from practice, you know, just winding down a little bit before I cleaned up and went to bed for the night because I obviously I had school the next day. And 
when I went to the bathroom after I got done, I was I was like washing my hands and and uh, all of a sudden I looked in the sink and I see blood. And I'm like, well, that's weird. And I look up, and my nose is bleeding. So I'm like, whoa, this is kind of this kind of trippy. Because um, I'd never, like I said, I never really had nosebleeds before. I wouldn't have like bloody sputum and whatnot. I don't want to like gross you guys out, but I, my nose would get plugged up and stuff, and I would have trouble blowing. So I would blow hard. You know what I mean? Um, but I never really had bloody noses. And so I remember being 17 years old and, you know, a dude like, you know, my mom and my stepdad were both sleeping. They both had to work in the morning. I was going to wake them up over a bloody nose. I didn't really think anything of it. So I cupped my hands and I snorted some water. I don't know why in that moment I thought that that was going to like, I thought maybe it'll help flush things out or whatever. But weirdly enough, it stopped. I took a shower, went to bed. So next morning I get up, my younger sister, she's two years, uh, two years younger than me, my only sister. Shout out, Kay. I love you. Um, so I would take her to school, obviously. At this point, my, my older brother, Greg, was, was two years into college. He was a sophomore at BG, so he wasn't at home. So, you know, I would drive my sister to school every morning. And by that point, when we would go in, we started at like eight. My mom and my stepdad were already at work. So... I get up as soon as I get up the next morning, my nose is bleeding and, and it's coming out pretty good. You know, it's, it's, it's a steady flow. So I did about everything I could one handed that morning. I said, Keelan, my nose is bleeding. It started last night, you know, and at this point I don't even think my mom or Jack, my stepdad even really knew, you know, cause like I said, I got home late. I got home at like 11 ish. Cause like I said, our practices were late. So they were already in bed because they get up at like five or whatever to get ready to go to work. So my sister was really the only one that, that knew because she's just seeing it firsthand getting into school in the morning. So I was like, I'm still going to take you to school, you know, but when I get to school, I'm obviously going to go to the nurse. <laughs> so I drive to school and I got a rag like over my nose, you know, just pinching it, driving one handed to school. And I get in there and I go to the nurse, Nurse Florian, super cool, super nice lady. I don't know if she's ever going to hear this, but you were cool. I like you, Nurse Florian. You were nice. Um, and I go into her office. You know, I, I think I, I may have gone to the principal's office first just to tell him, hey, my nose is bleeding. It's been bleeding all morning. Can you let, like, my first class or no or whatever? I'm here, but this is where I am. So go to the nurse's office. And, you know, my nose is bleeding. So, you know, she's approaching it the standard way too because the whole thing with nosebleeds is eventually they stop. A normal nosebleed, eventually it's going to stop. So she just pulls over a trash can. And uh, I don't like swallowing blood. I mean, I, I feel like I, you know, stomach-wise I can handle some stuff. Uh, I, I'm not a blood and guts person. I can never work in the medical field in a, in a, in a clinical sense because uh, when I just see innards, it just ooh, it, it just it, it makes me queasy. It makes me uh, makes my knees uh, weak and, it, and I'm, I would pass out on one of those porcelain floors and break my nose, which wouldn't be good. Um, but I don't like swallowing blood. I just not a fan at all. And I, I remember the taste of it, that sort of irony, penny, you know, nasty. So I'm spitting up this blood, and I'm in there for a good, like, 45 minutes, and I can start to even see in her eyes. She's like, wow. And I look at her, I'm like, this just isn't stopping, you know? And she's like, no, it's not. She goes, I, I think you need to go to the emergency room. So at that point, call my mom. My mom comes, picks me up, takes me to Toledo Hospital emergency room, where my brother Brandon works. Shout out, Brandon. I love you, man. So I go in there. 
he finds out that I'm there. He comes in and sees me. So him and the nurse anesthetist, the dude comes in, swipes some Neurospore in my nose, shoots some Afrin up there, which helps constrict your blood vessels, and it stops. So I'm like, all right, I'm going to go back to school because I'm, I'm somebody that's like, you know, I, I want I want to try to make everything as regular as possible. So I go back to school, and uh, I'm in – I go back to school, and at that point it's like early afternoon or whatever, and I had religion class. So I go into religion class, and I'm sitting down, and I'm talking to this girl, Taya, and all of a sudden she's like she, – she like cuts me off. She's like, Mike, your nose is bleeding. She's like, what? I was like, what? She's like, it's bleeding on your shirt. Like, I didn't even kind of feel it. It was kind of like numb. And I look at my shirt, and I just got blood dripping, right? Slow drip, dripping on my shirt. So I'm like, all right, obviously I can't stay in school today. So went back to the nurse. I think we called my mom again. I was like, mom, I'm just going to drive home, right? So she, my sister stays in school. I think she ended up picking up my sister with the situation. So I drive home again, one-handed, covering up my nose, my stepdad gets home from work. He had like horrendous nosebleeds when he was a kid, like really bad ones, frequently, you know. So I lay on the, the one chair. We call it the sleep chair in the living room back at home, you know, because it's like super comfortable. You lay down. There's a nice big ottoman. You can't help but not fall asleep or but fall asleep. But anyway, so I'm laying in that chair, and again, blood's dripping down the back of my throat, and I hate it. It's starting to dry. You know, at this point, my nose, other than when I went to the ER, my nose started bleeding at 6.30 in the morning, and it pretty much hasn't stopped. And we're talking it's now like 3 o'clock, 3.30, still bleeding. So that's a good, I don't know, do the math, like six, nine hours at this point, my nose is bleeding. So I'm like, I'm like, Jack, I can't do that, man. I can't. It's nasty. It's drying in my throat. I don't like it. So I sat up in the chair, and I had like a little Tupperware thing. Uh, we used it for our chicken the next night. No, I'm just kidding. Um, <laughs> Stand-up comedy is not my future. But anyway, so I had this little Tupperware, and now I'm spitting blood in this thing, right? And now it's starting to get a little painful because not only has it been bleeding all day, but it's starting to hurt, starting to get bigger chunkier type of clottage coming out and it hurts like when i would snort like it that i could feel it like pulling on the inside of my face it hurt so it's not stopping and i mean it's at this point now my mom gets home it's like after five o'clock now she's concerned because we're talking going on like 12 hours of nosebleed right and my stepdad's like yeah man it just it won't stop bleeding so I'll never forget this, man. My mom comes in, and she's very concerned. She's a registered nurse. She knows her stuff. You know, at this point, she had been a registered nurse for, like, almost 30 years, right? She's seen a lot of stuff. She's worked in the OR. She worked in ICU. So my mom, she's very well-versed. She's very good at what she does. I'm not just saying it's because my mom, and I love her, and I wouldn't trade her for anybody in the world in terms of the woman who birthed me and raised me. But she knows her stuff. She's She's an intelligent woman. So she comes in with like this little flashlight and she's like, Mike, I I need to see it, honey. I need to see it. And I was like, mom. And I remember I laughed. I kind of said like this. I was like, mom, I was like, trust me, you're not going to be able to see anything if I pull, when I pull this rag away, you're just, you're not going to be able to see anything. She's like, Mike, just let me look. And guys, I will never forget this. I pulled that rag away from my nose in bright red blood, like something out of a, a, out of a, you know, hostile, you know, 
or, or you know, like a horror, gory movie. Like it looked fake. It was that bright red of blood. And it came, I pulled the rag away and it was like, it was coming out like a slow drip from a faucet. And it looked like fake blood. I had bled before. I consider myself pretty tough. Like I didn't, you know what I mean? Like when I played sports and stuff, I would try to fight through pain. Like I feel like I got a pretty good tolerance for pain. And I, I you know, pretty tough, you know? Like I remember getting a baseball thrown at my face by a kid's brother who was a couple years older than us during practice when I was in like third grade. Hit me right on the chin, man. Right on the freaking chin at nine years old and I fought back tears. And I remember my coach telling me, Mike, you don't gotta be so tough. But that's just I just was raised like that and I drank a lot of vitamin D milk. But anyway, I consider myself pretty tough, pretty high tolerance for pain. I'd never felt anything like this in my life. And at that point I was freaked out. Because like I said, I pulled this rag away slow drip like a slow drip from a faucet bright red fake movie blood is coming out of me and it's coming out at a decent clip you know when i say slow drip from a faucet i'm not exaggerating it was like i pulled it away it was like and i almost passed out i because i would not not so much just from seeing it and feeling it come out of me but also fear i at that point i was scared because i'm like my nose is bled all day it's almost six o'clock. It's not stopped. It hasn't stopped bleeding. And this is where we are right now. So it freaked me out. So at that point, get in the car. We go to the emergency room. Mom calls my dad. My parents are divorced. They meet me there. And at this point, I'm not going to lie. I'm starting to cry a little bit because it hurts. Like I said, at this point, the, the blood is, is, is not only like looking like fake bright red movie blood, which is a sign that the, the, the bleeding is coming from somewhere deep in you. I believe they call it anterior bleeding. Um, but, but the clotting was starting to happen, and it started to hurt. Like I said, when I would snort, when you snort, <laughs> doing that, I could feel it pulling in my palate and on the inside of my head, the inside of my face. It hurt. It hurt. And I hadn't stopped bleeding. Get to the ER. They give me one of those big uh, pink basins get me in a room and I'm hacking up this blood. They got a couple nurses in there and I'm hacking up these clots. I'm like, oh, like it, you know, and I'm starting to get weak at this point, man. Cause I haven't had hardly anything to eat really like all day, I think since the morning. And, uh, and I don't even know, I don't even remember if I had breakfast that morning and I've been bleeding all day. Clots are getting bigger. And my dad, who usually keeps it together pretty good. Like my mom, I love her. And I know she'll probably listen to this, but she can get a little emotional sometimes. And I can too. I'm a sensitive dude. I'm a Pisces. I'm, I'm sensitive. All right? I'm sensitive. But um, they were all there. And uh, I remember I had this clot. Again, I'm not exaggerating. And at this point, like I said, I'm crying because I'm like, I, this is – it's freaked me out, man. Like if I was like, am I just going to bleed to death? Am I just going to bleed out? I mean you have those thoughts at that point because this is an experience that I've never had before. Knock on wood, I've never had it again. I've never experienced anything like this. I'm a 17-year-old kid. You know what I'm saying? It scared the hell out of me. And I had one that was roughly the size of a golf ball, not exaggerating. And it hurt like hell when it came out. And I was like, and I spit it in this, this pink basin. And I'll never for, forget the look on my dad's face when, when he saw that. And my dad just winced with disgust. He made this face. And like I said, he normally can keep it together. And he just walked right out of the room. 
And at that point, I got really scared because I'm like, if my dad, who's a pretty tough dude, for the most part, always kept it together in front of us and didn't show weakness. He was he 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 tried to be that type of a father, you know, and be strong for us even in weak moments because he didn't want us to get scared. And that freaked me out. It legitimately freaked me out, man. So what ended up happening was my nose ended up getting packed. They put like this gauze up there, packed my nose, went home, had that in for a few days. Uh, When they took it out, it was really, really weird, man. Like you feel like they're pulling that stuff from like the abyss when they're yanking it out of your nose. It's so weird like how much of it comes out. You're like, oh my gosh. It's crazy. It's absolutely crazy. So to make a long story short, we go to a few different doctors locally. And they do some scans and whatnot. And uh, another moment where I knew something was really wrong, we went and saw this one doctor. And he's talking to my parents and he's like, yeah, I'm, you know, I'm confident that I can go in there and, you know, it's like arthroscopic. I can go up there and we can cut it out, out at, you know, whatever facility, Bay Park or whatever. And uh, my parents, neither one of them were really comfortable with it. And I remember we were in this room at this facility, not far from the church that I was telling you guys about, where I played so many games growing up as a as a young boy. Played so many basketball and football games. But um, um, my mom looks at this picture of what's in my schnoz, right? And the dude was saying he thought it was a polyp. And it definitely wasn't a polyp. And my mom knew that, and she started crying. And that freaked me out and ended up getting sick. (laughs) And I'm not saying this to make anybody feel guilty, but just like when you're young, you know, you know something's wrong. And when your parents are scared, you're like, dude, this is freaky, right? And this is where, you know, to me, you know, and I won't get too preachy on here, but this is where I believe that there is a divine entity. You can call it God. You can call it the universe. You can call it the great unknown, whatever you want to call it, man. But... It turns out that my mom ended up working for years. A friend of hers at work, her son had the same thing that I had when he was like seven. It's just crazy how, you know, it's, it's to me it's crazy how, how you know, uh, God works in mysterious ways. And like I said, you can call it whatever you want to call it. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm certainly not trying to say that. You know, you have to or you should believe what I believe because we're all different and we all have our own life experiences. And uh, the reality is, is none of us know. None of us know what lies beyond. I believe there is a, is a God, a divine being. I don't necessarily believe that he looks like the uh, keyboard player from the Bee Gees, but, um, you know, big happy white guy with, you know, a gorgeous beard and flowing hair. Um I'm not sure if he looks like that, but uh, I just, I believe that there is that out there that uh not so much a watchful eye but just a presence that's always there if you decide to call upon it that has your best interest at heart but anyway so i thought that that was weird so go to a couple of different doctors this dude were like nope no way my parents are like there's no way we're gonna let mike go on some table at a local hospital and you know you know, because the thing was, is as good as the healthcare is where where I lived. I mean, I'm not knocking the healthcare system where I lived, but there weren't any doctors locally 
who were adept to handle what I had because what I had was very rare. It's known as a juvenile nasopharyngeal angiofibroma, short for JNA. And the odds of getting one, from what I remember them telling me, are one in every 600,000 people, which is basically the population if you count the suburbs and stuff of where I was from. So that were my odds. Like, if you're the only person in a mid-major city that has it, I had this. So, again, it's not a knock on the local healthcare system there, but my parents were like, no, we're not going to have Mike with a local surgeon who's never really dealt like with anything like this and have him, you know, something potentially go wrong. So, fortunately, my mom was able to get referred to the University of Michigan and Dr. Marentet, who is one of the greatest human beings that I've ever met, uh, a true humanitarian to his core, and I need to try to reach out to him, you know, that it has been a decade that I've been in good health now since all this happened, and let him know how thankful that I am. But uh, we, we went to their ear, nose, and throat program, one of the best in the country, and that was part of the benefit of, of being where I was at the time that I had what I had and being in this era that we live in with modern technology. As many crazy things are happening in the world right now, you guys, like that's one of the biggest blessings about living in this this 21st century that we're living in is that we are at the highest medical advancement possible. You know, had I had I been born 20 years earlier and this happened in, you know, 1986 instead of 2006, um, I don't know what would have happened. I don't know if I'd be here right now. I don't know. I really don't know. I don't want to be overdramatic, but I, I think my chances would have been a lot more slim in terms of the operating procedure because of the amount of blood involved. But so we go up to U of M, their first class. Dr. Marantet knows exactly what he's talking about. I get officially diagnosed with a JNA. Thankfully, after a couple of tests, they saw that mine was only about the size of a quarter. Now, to explain what this, what a JNA is, it's basically a non-cancerous tumor, and it's kind of Hitchcockian and Wes Craven-esque in terms of almost being like something out of a horror movie because, again, from my limited medical knowledge, what, what I remember from the situation, what I remember being told about what I had, these tumors grow by attaching themselves to blood vessels and and. Uh, they're fed by that. So that's how they get bigger. And the crazy thing about JNAs is that my mom's friend, her son, he had his when he was seven years old. Okay, his was the size of a softball. And they had to do a Lafort procedure, which is named after the doctor who came up with it. I believe he's a French doctor, skull-based procedures, as well as a craniotomy to get the thing out of the little guy. And he's good now. I mean, Colton's got, Colton's got to be, he might be out of high school now. It's, you know, I was, that was 10 years ago when I went through it. So dude might be in his early twenties now. But, um, and from what I know, he's got a clean bill of health too. So God bless him, man. That's awesome. Um, luckily mine was only about the size of a quarter and it bled the way that it did because it was attached to my maxillary artery, which feeds blood to your face. You know, you've got your carotid and your aorta, a couple of your major ones. Your maxillary feeds blood to your face. So it's like the main one. So mine was attached to that, and it was growing, and it was in my nasal cavity. I, I want to say it was on the left side of my face. Um, but 
really that nosebleed, you know, my parents have said it a lot that it was a million dollar nosebleed because symptomatically, that's another crazy thing about these tumors. They've seen them in men as young as like Colton, uh, my mom's friend's son, who was like seven when, when he went through his stuff. Um, I was 17 at the time. They've, I've read stuff where they've seen it in older men. Um, I think there's even been a few instances, several instances where it was, where it happened to women, you know, um, but they, so they can, I think they, they're at a point where they, they kind of think that maybe it's attributed to testosterone, but again, one's happening in a prepubescent boy who's years away from puberty. And the other one happened to a dude in my end, who's on the tail end of puberty at 17 years old. So it's, it's crazy. And symptomatically, there's not really a way to discover, is this or isn't this what you have either? Like me, it was a really, really bad nosebleeds. Otherwise, I would have had no idea. I mean, I just thought that my nose being plugged up a lot was just because my nose was plugged up. You know, I just thought I had bad sinuses or whatever, you know. And, uh, you know, they've had other kids who start to get really bad headaches. You know, I read a thing where this one kid, he started to get a lot of swelling in his cheek just out of nowhere. And they're like, what's going on? One of these tumors was growing. So symptomatically, it's it's kind of an odd, like I said, sort of Alfred Hitchcock type of horror movie type thing because there's there's not like one clear cut like, okay, you're experiencing A, B, C, and then it's D, it's a J and A, it's a you know it's it's this tumor, and uh, so it was crazy. So I felt really lucky, and like I said, that's kind of where I'm getting spiritually here. So you know, not only did I have a nosebleed as an indicator, not only did I have somebody literally who worked with my mom whose son went through the same thing and i was in an area that 45 minutes from where i grew up was one of the best programs in the country for what i had in a doctor who specialized in lafort procedures and dr marantet so again you can say what you want to say about the universe and god and how it's all i'm just saying from my personal experience as a guy not trying to sound you know woe is me because uh, I'm definitely not that type of dude, but I've never been somebody who could fall and poop and come out smelling like a rose. I've never been particularly lucky uh, in terms of gambling or just, you know, stumbling upon things that all of a sudden turn out to be awesome. You know, although my life lately has been great, thanks to some awesome people. Um, but uh, I feel like that that's a pretty, somebody's looking out for you. You know, when you have something as rare as what I had within you know, a 45 minute drive where I grew up, there was one of the best programs in the country to treat what I had and one of the best surgeons at it. That's, that's about as grand slam as you get kids. It's about as grand slam as you get. And you can attribute it to just total randomness, but I really believe it was meant to be that way. So they did what's called a Lafort one procedure. So they actually sawed underneath my top lip, cracked down my palate, went up there, cut this bugger out, uh, put titanium plates and screws in there, which I still have in my face to this day, and dissolvable sutures to sew it all back up. Um, and if you've ever chewed, the way I explain it to people, if you've ever chewed a piece of gum, you know, in school, and then you like hide it and you flatten it on your your upper gums, that's kind of what that feeling feels like to this day with me. But I've just gotten used to it. I don't even really recognize it anymore. Um, it was funny at first because the first couple of times I ate, I would get stuff stuck up there and I like couldn't get it out. I'd have to like put my finger in there. I couldn't just go like, you know, how you move your lip and you can kind of like shake it out. I couldn't do it. Um, so the other crazy part of this is there was basically two procedures. So I had ample testing done. 
you know, fluoroscopy, MRI. Um, I don't remember if I had an EKG, but I definitely had a, several MRIs and I had a fluoroscopy. Um, I can't even tell you how many times they, you know, put IVs in my arms to either draw fluid or put stuff into me. Um, but the two major surgeries, the day before the surgery, they do what's called an embolization procedure. And, and again, modern technology, man, they do this fluoroscopy, which is basically where they put this stuff in you. It's like an x-ray, except they shoot you with this stuff, fluid, whatever you want to call it. Medically, we'll just call it stuff because I, I'm not an MD. And I don't know what it was. Um, but you have big arteries in your thighs, so they, they put this stuff in there. It highlights your whole cardiovascular system, and then there's like an x-ray, so they can see in there. It's crazy, you guys. I don't know how people come up with this stuff. We're really lucky, though. And they then take these little, they're really small spheres, and they shoot it up in there to block off the blood flow to the tumor. And average embolization, here's another one that's like somebody's looking out for me. Again, you can say coincidence, I say nay. Average embolization is 60%. They were able to get my tumor 90% embolized, which embolization is just basically a fancy way of saying to block off as much of the blood flow as possible so you don't lose as much blood during surgery. And then the next day, surgery goes off without a hitch. Another moment that I will tell you in there before we wrap this thing up and I explain why I wanted to tell you guys all this personal stuff about myself today. I still vividly remember, and I know scientific people will attribute it to the the drugs I was on to numb the pain. Again, I have had prescription drugs, um, and I know what those feelings are like. I've been in hospitals. I've had in my life, if you count the three surgeries I had when I was a kid, I've been under the knife five times, and you know, I had five surgeries in a less than 18 year period in my life so and I remember vividly having my eyes operated on when I was six years old I still remember that experience and the pain afterwards so I feel like I know what I'm talking about as far as uh, imagining things and as far as feeling things due to prescription drugs all right and I can tell you that this was not any type of medication that I was on I, I could I could write up a script and and have it be a, a movie scene I remember it this vividly in my life and to this to this day I've never felt anything like this and I can't I don't feel like there's human words in the language that we currently use that can really describe this feeling and I know there's been a lot of books that have been written about this and some of them are slant more scientific some of them spent slant more spiritual but for what it is this was my experience so embolization procedures done the day before now's the big one right now's the Lafort one procedure I remember being in uh, my bed, and they were getting ready to take me into the operating room, take me back into the operating room. And I even remember the room. There's like a big waiting area type deal there. University of Michigan Hospital is huge, man. It's like it's it's like a city. It's so big. And the I remember the room. I remember them taking me down there. The doctors were there. Before they take me back, they let my parents say goodbye to me. And I remember my mom and Jack, my stepdad, my stepmom, Deb, and my dad standing over me. 
saying goodbye, wish me luck, everything. Thankfully, they're all keeping it together. I don't remember any emotions, which is cool, you know. And, and at the time, I was drugged up, you know, but I was still with it, if that makes sense. You know, if you've ever had any type of, you know, doctor-prescribed prescription drug, you know, whether it was to deal with, you know, heaven forbid, something bad like panic attacks or depression, you know, something to help you deal with some negative stuff, you know, you, you kind of know what those feelings are like. Or if you've had pain medication, you know what that just sort of numb, underwater type of feeling is like where you're just sort of like, you know, I'm not a big fan of it, but I was still with it enough to re- to remember all of this, you know, at this point. Because, you know, they give me some type of, I don't know if it was a sedative or pain medication before the surgery, before they actually like put you under or whatever. And they always do that thing where like, all right, Mike, come back to 10. And like, I don't, I think my record is like, I made it to four. Like, I don't, you know, they always say, all right, we want you to come back from 10. And they put the mask on and you're like, one, two, three, doink. And they're all standing over me saying goodbye. And then they're taking me back. The doctors now are taking me back. And I can hear them talking. It was literally like something right out of a movie or something you'd see on like ER, like a TV show. It was kind of crazy. You know, the fluorescent lights are going to buy me. Whoosh, 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 whoosh. And I'm kind of in this moment. you got some people kind of trying to talk to you. Mike, you okay? People ask you all the time and when you're in the hospital if you're okay. You okay? I remember that when they, when they were doing the MRIs, man. Like, you know, and, and I guess now the technology is better. It's not as loud. But MRIs, you, you slide into this big machine and the thing is like, I don't even know if it's an inch in front of your face. So people freak out. <laughs> people get claustrophobic. They play music to try to make you calm. I, they they must have asked me. I can't even tell you how many times they asked me if I was okay when I had these MRIs. So are you doing okay? You doing okay, Mike? Yeah, I'm cool, man. I'm good. Because I was just like, I'm just going to close my eyes, man. It's mind over matter. I'm going to close my eyes. I'm not going to think about being under this big, huge thing. But anyway... They're taking me back, and I'm laying in this bed, and I remember saying, God, in my head, obviously it wasn't out loud, but I remember saying, God, I don't think it's my time, yet I don't feel like it. it I'm, I'm going to leave. You know, I feel like there's a lot left that I'm supposed to do. I don't really know what that is, and I, I, I really hope that you help me figure it out. But if you need me, I'm ready. And I'm telling you, sure as I'm sitting here today, man, there was a warmth that started at my head and overcame my entire body all the way to my feet. I'm not making this up. I've never had any prescription drug or any alcohol that I've drank legally make me feel like this, you guys. I had a warmth, and it wasn't an uncomfortable heat. It wasn't a warmth like sun. It wasn't a warmth like, oh, I'm uncomfortable. I'm having a panic attack. My body's getting all warm. Like it was just a warmth that I've never felt before. To this day, I've never felt anything like it since. Head to toe, wash my whole body. And I was in a state of complete peace that I've never felt to this day. And again, I'm not, I can't emphasize enough. I know I said it like four or five times already. I'm not being dramatic. I don't consider myself a dramatic dude or a dramatic human being. I'm just telling you what it is, man. 
I feel like I'm a pretty direct communicator and I'm just being direct with y'all. Wash over my whole body when I said that. Like immediately. Wasn't even like one Mississippi, one, two Mississippi. It was like instant peace. Instant peace. I've never felt anything like it in my life. And I was not worried at all about, you know, death or life at that point. Because I, I realized it in that moment that the moment I was in was the only one that mattered. And that's the biggest thing. Now, 10 years later, surgery went well. I healed up. You know, the, the it took a little bit, obviously. You know, I lost roughly 20 pounds in less than a week after surgery. Um, I remember sharing a room in the children's hospital with a kid who was my age, and, and I don't know if he made it or not, but he had brain cancer, came back, and it went to his spinal cord. He celebrated his birthday in the hospital. I remember waking up one night, hearing him going like this, the sound of him rubbing his sheets because all his hair was falling out. He celebrated his birthday in, his, in the hospital with his mom and a couple of friends. There are a couple of times at night where he would like wake up like yelling or screaming. Um, I remember seeing little kids, you know, going down the, 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 the hallway with their, their iMed poles. I mean, it was, it was very, um, I give credit to, to nurses, man, not just because my mom's a nurse, but a- anybody who works in a clinical setting, especially with kids, because I, cu- I couldn't do it, man. I can't. There's a few times where in my old job where I, I was putting away stock rooms and stuff and I would hear kids like screaming or in pain and I can't. Mm. It's something that I couldn't handle. I, I just, I you know, I couldn't do it. I really couldn't do it. Um, and then going home, losing weight, uh, I broke down a few times, you know. Um, it took about probably... I don't even know, a good three weeks at least before I could even begin to eat solid food again. I remember the first time, and it's just stuff you take for granted. You know, you put food in your mouth, you're a healthy human being, you chew it, it goes down. You really don't even think after a certain point. Like, it's like breathing. It's just, you know, it's like nobody has to train you how to eat. And I remember the first time I had a juicy steak again. And and the pressure that I could put down when I when I chewed was like, I can't even tell you guys, like it was like so minute and so like fragile in terms of strength, you know, when my mouth was healing up and it probably took me, I don't even know how long to eat all that steak, but, uh, God bless my mother and my stepdad for, you know, trying to beef me back up. But, you know, and you've got people that, you know, they're seeing you, you know, they're helping you go to the bathroom I mean, it makes you really realize how lucky you are to have who you have in your life, man, you know? My mom, my dad, my stepdad, you know, all helping me go to the bathroom and, you know, I mean, and there's no shame at that point, man, you know, because you can't do it alone, you know? My face was super swollen, you know, and I didn't, I I remember my stepdad took one picture and I I wasn't mad, but I didn't want him to take any pictures. I didn't want to remember myself that way you know part of me years later kind of wishes like man i wish i had a couple of pictures of that you know just so on those days where i think i'm having a rough day i can remember like what rough really is man i remember coming out of surgery and trying to lift up my f my left arm and it felt so heavy because i had at least four maybe more all the way from my knuckles all the way up my forearm 
different IVs and needles in me for various reasons. And I, I remember trying to lift up my arm and it felt like heavy, you know. And uh, I'm sharing this today on a podcast that's normally a music podcast because it is exactly 10 years later when I was going through all this stuff. I want to say my surgery was February 20th, 2006. So at this time, 10 years ago, I was in sort of that, you know, in-between stage where we had gotten, you know, the surgeon down and figured out exactly what was going on. Thankfully, after that first bad nosebleed I had only ever had, I had one more before the surgery that was kind of bad, and that was it. Um, but I, I have a clean bill of health. It's not come back. Um, my sinuses are still really sensitive, but I'm very lucky. You know, even though the odds of getting what I had were very rare, it wasn't cancerous. And Part of the reason I wanted to share this with with everybody who listens to this podcast, whoever you are, some of you are close friends and family, some of you people I've never met in my life, is because I feel like I'm on a really positive upswing right now, and I'm very thankful, and I I look at things a lot differently than I used to look at them, you know? Um, I used to kind of, you know, in some ways I'm still cynical about certain things. I think we all can be in that in that regard. Um but I look at life a lot more positively than I do now. You know, when something happens that's unexpected and it's not really, um, you know, something that is, uh, you know, like, oh, I got to do this. Or I, I, don't, I don't look at it that way anymore, man. I, I really look at things positively now. And I think in the midst of, you know, moving to Nashville and, you know, starting my new job, which is going great, uh, I love everybody there. I love what I'm doing. I'm, I'm very lucky and very thankful. It's just I, I felt compelled to share this one with you guys because it's crazy to me that it has been 10 years since I went through all that stuff. You know, it's it's been a decade, you know, and I think, man, 10 years from now, I'm going to be 38. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's crazy, you know, and it just makes you realize like how limited time is, you know what I mean? And how crazy and how fast it, it all goes. You know, when you're young, you think you have all the time in the world. When you're in school growing up, days seem like weeks and years seem like centuries when you're in school. You know what I mean? Like when you, that first day of second grade compared to that last day, like that felt like, that felt like 10 years. It didn't feel like a year. And then you get older and all of a sudden you wake up one day and you're pushing 30 like me and you go, wow. Like, you know, I'll think back to like, like even six years ago, roughly this time, six years ago, almost to the day, me and two of my best friends in the whole world, Chad and Dave, went down to Dayton, had a fun weekend trip and saw Five Finger Death Punch and God Forbid and uh, Shadows Fall on tour down in Dayton at, uh, at uh, was it McGuffey's? And we were drinking swamp water, you know what I mean? And I had just stayed, started dating my girlfriend at the time, and I was excited because I only had a couple months left to school. After all those years of working hard in school, I had like three months left till I was free for life, right? You know? And I'm like, man, that was six years ago already. Six years before that, I was a sophomore in high school. You know what I mean? It's just you grow up as a kid and you hear adults, whether they're teachers, coaches, parents, relatives, talk about, oh man, enjoy those days because, you know, they're, they're going to go fast. And the older you get, the faster it's going to go. And you just think, yeah, yeah, whatever. I'm not you. I am young. I do have time. And then all of a sudden you just, you, you just, you go, wow, 
you know, and I'm looking around now and like I said, I'm, I'm pushing 30. I'm still young. 30 is definitely not old and I still got a little over two years till I get there. But it's crazy how fast time goes, you guys, and just how quick things in your life can change out of nowhere. That was the first time in my life where, where everything stopped on a freaking dime. You know what I mean? And totally turned out of nowhere. There was nothing I could do to stop what was coming. There was nothing I could do to change the situation that I was in. But I was blessed enough to be where I was and to have who I was in my life. And I'm thankful for that every day. You know, my family's got issues just like everybody's family has issues. My friends and I have had disagreements just like you guys have disagreements with your friends. But at the end of all of it, I wouldn't trade who I have in my life for anything else or anyone else. You know, if a magician or Aladdin walked into my freaking room right now and was like, you know, had their crystal ball and could offer me to go back or to go forward or offer me some alternate universe, I wouldn't choose it. I really wouldn't choose it. This is the first time in a long time where I felt I am exactly where I'm supposed to be, you know, and I'm so thankful with the people that I've met in Nashville who have helped me and they know who they are if they listen to this. The, my family, my friends, I mean, I, I love all you guys, man, and I am eternally grateful for all of you. I'm eternally thankful for what I have, and if for some reason my time was up tonight after I eat my chicken that I've had marinating in the fridge, it's going to be good, you guys. It's going to be good. All right, all right. Um, I, w- I would be content, man. I would. I would. I still feel like there's a lot left that I have to do. There's still a lot that I, I would love to experience, you know? I'm at that age where it's like, okay, you know, you know, you start to wonder, am I going to meet that, that person that, that maybe I'll have kids with? Am I going to, you know, am I going to, um, am I going to have a family one day? Am I going to, you know, are are these passions that I have, what, where are they going to go? What are they going to lead to? Where's, where's my job going to lead to? But I, I think about those things, but I don't worry about them. You know what I mean? And I used to worry about everything. You know, I was in fourth grade worried about getting good grades as a 10-year-old kid, you know. Um, I don't live life with regret, but sometimes I do look back and go, man, I I do wish I would have had a little bit more fun. I wish I would have, you know, tried to enjoy the moments more than I did, you know. And and again, I had a great childhood. I, I, I... I'm I'm blessed, man. I'm a lot more blessed than than a lot of people out there. Maybe some of you listening to this and and that's why I wanted to share it because no matter what your situation is, the the thing that unites all of us is that is that at the end of the day we're all mortal. You know, it doesn't matter how much money you make. It doesn't matter what your title is at your job. It doesn't matter what kind of car you drive, what kind of house you live in, what shoes you got on your feet where you're from I really believe this whole thing comes down to who you are at your core and I believe at our core most of us want the same things out of life you know we want to love and be loved you know and I think the important thing is is it is who you are it's how you live your life every day and for me so much has changed just from changing the way that I think, you know, and I really believe that if you can change your mind, you can change your life. If you approach things positively, you know, if you approach things that come your way, whether it's added things at work, you know, or um, 
situations that come up with your family or your friends or, or yourself personally, if you can just approach it with a positive mindset and a positive attitude, it makes a world of difference. I mean, it's not rocket science, you guys. There are people who have made millions on like doing talks and, you know, and more power to them, man. I'm not knocking that business at all. You know, writing books about how to live a happy, successful life and how to make money and do all this, you know. And again, I'm not knocking any of those people. Great. You know, they found something that works for them and they're sharing it with other people and they're making money doing it. That's what we all want to do in a lot of ways. But, you know, it, it's about who you are. You know what I'm saying? And, and, the, and the, I, I think, you know, I, I obviously still have a lot to learn. You know, my life is a third over, really. And if you look at the, the averages, you know, if I live to be 84, I'm 28. So, you know, 25 times three is what? 75. So I'm more than you know, a third of the way through, you know, and I'm not, but that doesn't make me afraid, you know, because there have been times where I've thought about like, all right, what is heaven really like? Like what's death, you know? And I think that's why we fear it. Death is the ultimate unknown. You know what I mean? We don't know. We don't know, but I don't fear it. I don't, I don't fear that kind of stuff anymore, you know? And, and, that, and that's why I wanted to share this so much good has come into my life recently just from changing my mind about things and approaching things positively you know there are things that'll happen to you in your life you guys where it seems negative at the time you're experiencing it but when you come out of it whether it's a few months or a few years later you're going to look back and go, man, all that was necessary. I needed all of that to happen. You know, the year and a half that I had before I got to Nashville, probably, again, not being a dramatic, one of the most turbulent stretches I've had in my life just in terms of constant shifting, constant, there was no steadiness, there was no roots to any of it. It just, it all, I felt like I was treading water the entire time. You know, it was a constant fight, just kicking my arms and my legs, you know, I was, I wasn't floating at all. For those of you who listened to the last podcast where Ravi and I were talking about that and he was talking to me about the meeting of the waiting pool on, on their new EP visceral and how it related to nothing more and seeing them in concert, which they're a great band, check them out. But I think a lot of it is that, you know, it's, it's just so simple when you really break it down on, on just how to process things. And it, it's not something that happens overnight. And there's still things about my, you know, I still have insecurities just like anybody has, you know, I'm a, I'm a human being. I'm not perfect. I'm never going to be perfect, you know, but the things that I used to worry about, the things that I used to think about, I don't think about them anymore. I just don't. Anything negative that enters my life, I don't give it any power anymore. I don't dwell on it. I don't overthink it. I, I just let it be. You know what I mean? And little things that used to really get under my skin, they don't get under my skin anymore because I think I'm at that age now and I've experienced enough to this point where I realize what's important, you know. So the fact that it's been a decade since I had one of the biggest changes of my life and then 10 years later, almost 10 years later, I went through the second biggest change of my life, which was choosing to leave my family and my friends, you know, to pursue happiness um it has been an adjustment you know i missed i missed the heck out of people back home man but i know i am where i'm supposed to be right now you know and 
you know, I don't define success the way I think, you know, not to get, not to speak in absolutes, but I, I think in America, and it's a whole other podcast, and I want to wrap this thing up, so I'm not going to talk too much on it, but, you know, we, we have really defined success pretty concretely as what you do and how much money you make in this country. You know, what do you do? And how much money do you make? You know, one of the first questions you get asked, whether it's a girl, you know, at a bar or, you know, just people talking, oh, what's your name? So what do you do? You know, and I actually have made an effort not to do that with people anymore, you know, and I get it. Like, it's not meant maliciously when people ask you that. It's just part of our lexicon. It's part of our lingo. You know, so what do you do? I don't care what people do. I'll be honest with you. I don't care. I don't care what your title is. I don't care how much money you make. To me, it's it's what kind of person are you? You know, are you good to people? or Are you not good to people? Are you, are you manipulative? Or are you straightforward? You know, because all that stuff, like I said, people can choose to believe it or not. But there's plenty of examples in society, you guys, of what I'm talking about. And I'm not saying I'm right because it's not about being right. But you know, you can you can fool. You know, what did Bob Marley say? You can fool some of the people some of the time, but you can't fool all the people all the time, you know? And I, I really believe what you do, good or back, will circle back around in your life. You can call it karma. You can call it whatever you want. You know, look at people who try to scam people. You know, look at the Bernie Madoffs of the world. You know, look at the guy, Johnny Depp just played him in the in the movie Black Mass. His name is escaping me right now, who it was actually based on. Look at what that guy did. It all comes back around, man, good or bad, you know? But I think... What I'm learning, and I still have a lot left to learn, if God willing, if I'm here till I'm 82 or 83 or 84 or maybe even 90, um, man, I don't know what I'm going to look like or feel like if I'm 90. But I've learned that how you view things and how you approach things, from small things to big things, if you can approach them positively, I'm telling you good will come out of it you know and i i feel lately like i've just been on a roll man and i'm knocking on wood right now on my kitchen table as i record this saying it because i feel really lucky and i feel really blessed you know and what i've learned from everything that i've shared with you today and why i wanted it to share with you today is exactly that wherever you are in your life right now if you're if you're happy sad depressed content indifferent just know that your life will improve if you approach every decision that comes your way, whether it was thrown in your lap or whether you chose it, and you approach every day positively and you pursue the things that make you happy. If you do that, I'm telling you, your life will get better. It doesn't matter what age you are. It doesn't matter what country you're from whether you're male or female listening to this man it's all about having a positive mindset just approaching things differently will change so much your life i'm telling you i'm living proof of it i'm living proof of it and it i just really felt compelled to share that today you know i i don't like to preach i know i have the gift to gab I know I can talk people's ears off sometimes. It's not because I like hearing myself talk. I just like talking to people. I love having thought-provoking conversations with people. 
I love meeting people from different backgrounds of me, whether it's race, economically, neighborhood, interest, because that's how you learn. So much of life is just approaching it positively. And if you do that, man, things will change so much for the better. And things will start to seem easier. They will seem easier. It's just like what Robbie and I talked about last week, man. You know, if you just stop kicking and screaming in the water and you just float, you know, the old Pearl Jam line, one of my favorite songs of all time, release, I'll ride the wave where it takes me. I can honestly say that I'm for the first time in my life I'm doing that right now. I'm riding the wave where it takes me. And I think that's so much of life. People that I look up to, Jim Carrey, you know, it's always sunny in Philadelphia, all those guys, Charlie Day. I highly recommend you guys go check out the speeches that they gave. Just type in Jim Carrey speech, graduation speech, Charlie Day, graduation speech. And they're talking about a lot of this stuff too. There's a really good documentary on Netflix called The Secret about the law of attraction and positive thinking, mental alchemy. I mean, I, I just, I feel like I'm living it every day now, you know, and it's not me seeking it out. It's not me trying to reaffirm and justify how I feel. It's just life is reflecting the vibes that I'm giving off. And as a result, I really feel like the universe or God or whatever you want to call it is taking care of me right now. And I wanted to impart that onto you because so much of it just comes from changing your mind about stuff. You know, I'm very blessed. I, I, I was born in a middle-class family to two hardworking, loving people who made it work after they got divorced for the sake of their children. I have two wonderful step-parents who I wouldn't trade for anybody in the world. I have a family that I, I, I wouldn't know what to do without. And even though all my cousins and you know, aunts and uncles and stuff. We all live in different parts of the country now. Like I, I, I still keep in touch with those guys. I love them very, very much. I have a, I have a core group of friends that I've had, most of them over half my life, who I wouldn't trade for anything. I'm very blessed, man. I didn't grow up to, you know, I wasn't a crack baby. You know, I, I was, I didn't grow up, you know, in in a rough neighborhood with with a dad who wasn't around or a mom who wasn't around. You know, sharing a one bedroom apartment in eating ramen noodles, you know, or sometimes going without eating. Like I, I don't, I, there are so many people, you know, who have it way worse in this country. I didn't grow up in the third world country in Africa where people don't have food or clean water. A lot of them, you know what I'm saying? I'm very blessed. I'm incredibly blessed. You know, we don't get to pick our families. We don't get to pick where we start, but you know what? You do have a lot to say about where you finish. You have a lot to say about where you finish and it all starts in your mind. The mind is the most powerful thing, and I believe love is the most powerful force in the universe. You know, we mistake kindness for weakness in this country, too. It's disappointing, you know. It's starting to change a little bit, but it's disappointing, you know. It's weird growing up, you know, like being the nice guy. Nice guys finish last, right? You know, the girls want the bad boy. (laughs) All that stuff you hear growing up. And it's like, nah, man, there's a lot of really good people doing a lot of really great things in this world, and your time will come. So don't believe the hype. Don't buy into all that. If you are a nice guy, and that girl you got a crush on right now in eighth grade ain't looking at you, 
don't worry, you guys, because your day will come. You're going to get to college. You're going to grow into your body, and you're going to start turning some heads of the chicks. Let me tell you. I will tell you. All right? Don't get too hyped up or too depressed about that girl not paying attention to you. For those of you who felt like me in high school, you know, you felt a little out of place. You know, maybe you were just somebody that had a myriad of interests like me and you didn't have a click. Don't, don't, don't be angry about that. Don't try to fit in with those clicks because you know what? A lot of those clicks, they turn out to be pretty average. They turn out to just be average human beings just like you and me, you know? The guy who caught all the touchdown passes and got all the girls or the girl who turned the heads of all the guys except didn't look at you one bit, you know, maybe once or twice in the four years you went to school together, she, you know, said hi or, you know, asked you for your algebra homework. Guess what? They all just, they're they're just people like you and me, man, you know? The difference is, is that unlike them, you know, your best years are going to be ahead of you. They're not going to be behind you, you know, because things for you are going to become more realistic, you know, and it's not throwing shade on those people who were kings and queens in high school, you know, it's not throwing shade on any of those people, but I'm saying don't live to impress or get the intention of those people because at the end of the day, anybody who doesn't want to spend time with you, they're not important. They shouldn't be important to you. What should be important to you is figuring out who you are. So if you're in high school and you're listening to this and you're having a rough time, Know that it's going to end. It's not forever. And make the most of it with the people who do care about you. Because those are the people you're going to ride or die with when you get out of high school. Those are the people you're going to make lifelong friendships with. And those are the people that are going to have your back. So, you know, if uh, Ashley in third period doesn't pay attention to you, that's her problem. She don't know what she's missing. You know, if Johnny the quarterback, uh, you know, you know, flirted with you and threw you away. He's not important. He doesn't know what he's missing. You're a great girl. You'll get a better guy. Trust me. Trust me. It's all about who you are and how you treat who you are. We all innately know, most of us who are well-adjusted people who don't have, you know, any type of mental issues, mental illness, all of us, no matter what language you speak or what country you're from, we're, we all know right from wrong. It's, it's innate, you know. You don't have to wake up and know that you shouldn't go out and do horrible things to people when you're a 27-year-old person. You just know what's right and wrong, regardless of the environment that you came up in. You know what's right and wrong, right? So be good to people. Kindness isn't a weakness. It's a strength. It takes a lot more kind, a lot more strength to be kind to people, to be patient with people, to not lose your cool with people than it does to fly off the handle and point fingers. You know, I read something really good the other day too, and I'll wrap this up. The world does not change with your opinion. The world changes with your actions. It changes with who you are, how you treat people, being good. Peace on earth, goodwill towards men. It's real simple. You know, I think somebody made a lot of money off that book. All the things I needed to learn, I learned in kindergarten. It's true. It's true, man. The golden rule, treat others the way you want to be treated and be kind, man. Be kind and be positive and I'm telling you, your life will change. And on that note, I want to say thank you to everybody who's listening to this podcast right now, to everybody who's listened to my past shows or who will listen to future shows. For those of you who have been on board for a while, I know this is kind of a deviation from the norm as far as having a music guest, but music's a very powerful force in my life. And I love it very, very much. And I just felt like this week, you know, it given what 
the time frame is. I th- I just kind of felt compelled to do an episode about about this, not because I like talking about myself, because you know, it, it, honestly, it takes some courage to be vulnerable and, and and talk about some of the stuff that I talked about. But um, because I really think that you know, there's a lot of people out there who you know whether their lives are going well or not. It's it's just a good reminder to think about things positively. Don't be afraid to ask the universe for what you want and be good to people, man. If you do those things, life will get a lot better. You can follow me on Twitter at Mike V. Bauman. If you're a band or an artist out there, I'd love to hear from you. Love to have you on the show. Try to pump up your music. Get it out there because music does move mountains. Um, If you want to check out the show on iTunes, you can check it out there. The Podbean app, you can download it for free on either your iPhone or your Android, your Samsung, whatever it is. And also the Podcast Addict app, which I love very much as well. I know that my show is available to sync with on there. So, yeah, man, thank you for listening. I love all of you. Keep the faith and be kind to one another. Peace.